0: Alright everyone, welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast. My name is James, I'm your host, and today is episode 27, number 27. Before I dive into today's topic, I wanted to take a minute to thank you all for finding the show and for listening and for doing what you can to share the show with your friends and family. It is much appreciated. The show is growing and people are hearing about it and I love to see that, so keep it up. I'm very appreciative. So today's episode, I I feel like anytime I start talking about food, it doesn't take long before I settle on fried chicken. It always comes up. I love fried chicken. I love it so much. So today we're going to look into the history of Kentucky fried chicken, KFC. Now, when we look at the history of KFC you really have to discuss Harlan Sanders. Now, Harlan Sanders, he has been the face of the Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise forever. He started the whole ball rolling. And today we're going to talk a lot about his life and how he was able to start this chicken empire. Now, Harlan Sanders was born on September 9th. 1890 in Henryville, Indiana. And when he was 6 years old, his father died. Now, this was a huge deal in his life. This left his mother to take care of three young kids, and as a result, Harland had to work many 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 jobs from a very young age. Now, wide variety of jobs here. Some of the jobs he worked included a farmer, a streetcar conductor, a railroad fireman, a justice of the peace, ferry boat operator, and an insurance salesman. So he really covered the spectrum there. When Harlan Sanders was 40 years old, he was running a Shell service station in Corbin, Kentucky. And this was a small station. People would stop by, get a bite to eat, fill up with gas, and move on down the road. And he had one table, and he would feed hungry travelers who would stop by. And of course, his specialty was fried chicken. Now, his chicken was so good that he was named an honorary Kentucky colonel by Governor Ruby LaFoon. Now, (laughs) we we hear about Colonel Sanders all the time, and I always wondered what a colonel meant in this context. So I did some digging, and we're going to talk a little bit about what an honorary Colonel is now in the, the title of Kentucky Colonel began in 1813 and it was the highest title is the highest title of honor given by the Commonwealth of Kentucky commissions for this high honor can only be given by the governor and secretary of state. And it's a recognition of outstanding service to a community state or nation. Only other honorary colonels, or the governor can nominate someone for the title of honorary colonel, so it's kind of a big deal. It's a big recognition, and uh, the the fame of his chicken just started to spread like wildfire. Colonel Sanders had an inkling that he was onto something big, and he moved his operation across the street to a larger filling station that he had purchased. Now gone were the days of feeding hungry folks at his own table. His new operation had six tables, so he's slowly but surely expanding his empire. His chicken continued to sell rapidly, and the only thing standing between the colonel and a booming business was the size of his operation and the time it took to cook his chicken. Now, he addressed the first issue in 1937, by expanding his restaurant to 142 seats. He also wanted to focus on the weary traveler. That's kind of how he got his start, hospitality. And he added a motel and named it Sanders Court and Cafe. Now that left the second issue. It currently took Colonel Sanders 35 minutes to fry up the chicken. He was staunchly old school. He pan fried all of his chicken. He really looked down on deep frying as a cooking method. He felt that the deep frying process made a much inferior product that was much lower in quality than what he could produce in a pan. And (laughs) this was something that was interesting to me. You know, when I think of KFC, I mistakenly think it's deep fried and that's not entirely accurate. So his obsession with quality ruled out cooking the chicken ahead of time as another viable solution because it was hard to get chicken that had been cooked in advance to remain juicy and delicious. And It was also hard to gauge demand on a day-to-day basis. And so cooking ahead of time would often lead to chicken being thrown away at the end of the day. Now, this is where technology starts to come into play. In 1939, pressure cookers, they started to come on the scene. And they were designed to do simple tasks like steaming vegetables. And Sanders grabbed one and modified it to fry chicken. Now, this goes against everything that these things were designed to do. And so he really had to modify this fryer. And the result was that it dramatically reduced his 35-minute cook time and produced chicken that passed his strict quality standards. And uh, he said it was a product comparable to his pan-fried method. Now, I can almost do a whole episode on how the pressure fryer has evolved through the years for KFC. And, uh, and really, it has gone through many iterations and evolutions through the years, and it's still in use today. A lot of chicken places pressure fry their chicken because it cuts down dramatically on the cook time. Now, I'll give you the quick rundown. In a pressure fryer, pressure fryer, having a hard time saying that one today, food can hit 250 degrees Fahrenheit internally. Using the pan fry method, food will hit just around 215 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, pressure cooking definitely had its moment in the early 1940s. It was incredibly, incredibly popular. You could take these tough cuts of meat, throw it in the pressure cooker, and... Almost instantly, you end up with something delicious and palatable. And by instant, I mean instead of cooking for six to eight hours, you're cooking for two to four hours. Now, again, when I think of a pressure cooker today, I think of the ever popular Instant Pot. I love my Instant Pot. And there's a lot of technology that goes into that Instant Pot to ensure that it doesn't explode on me from the pressure. In the 1940s, pressure cookers had no such safety mechanisms. They were very low-tech, and as a result, they would literally blow up on people, causing serious injuries. And to this day, people are terrified of pressure cookers because they're afraid they're going to blow up. In college, I had a roommate from Nepal, and he would always blow up have something in the pressure cooker. And when he had something on the stove in the pressure cooker, I literally treated it like a ticking time bomb. This was not an instant pot. This was an old school, had the pressure valve, everything. And uh, I would carefully walk by, grab what I needed out of the kitchen and run for cover. Now, a pressure cooker is designed to handle temperatures around 250 degrees Fahrenheit. Adding oil to the equation can dramatically increase the temperature to around 320 degrees Fahrenheit. So, of course, by adding more heat, you're also going to increase the pressure. And this caused a failure of the gaskets, and boom, the rest is history. Hot oil would then be spewed all over the kitchen. Early fryers at KFC were not immune to this. And in the early days, several cooks were actually injured by exploding cookers. Thankfully for everyone involved, a few companies took on the challenge and started producing commercial grade pressure cookers uh, that were suitable for frying and that also had some technology and safety mechanisms in there to keep them from, of course, blowing up on people. All right, so before I dive back into Colonel Sanders' story, I wanted to break up the show and share just a fun chicken story and, and then a few fried, fried chicken facts. Now, as I mentioned when I first started this episode, I absolutely adore fried chicken, and that's why any opportunity that I have to talk about chicken, I, I do. And the result is I am often always eating fried chicken. Now, I don't think I've ever truly had bad fried chicken. It's something that I just always crave and I always want. Now, when I was living in Tennessee, I had a really bad head cold. And when I get sick, I crave junk like no other. I worked just around the corner from a Kroger and fried chicken was starting to sound really good. Now, for a lot of people, a Kroger is the last place they're going to go for fried chicken, but I was desperate. So, you know, again, I'm of the opinion that there is no bad fried chicken. There's just... Good fried chicken and better fried chicken. Uh, dried fried chicken—you can mask that with copious amounts of gravy, and uh, of course, the soggy breading of other fried chicken can always be forgiven. However, you know, on this particular day, I ended up experiencing an unforgivable chicken sin, and I didn't know that these existed, but I became intimately aware of this. On this particular day, my head was so plugged up, I was almost dizzy. I walked in the store, I headed over to the deli counter, and uh, ordered just a single chicken tender. I only wanted one. I paid my you know, 90 cents or whatever, and uh, walked out the door and started munching on it as I walked back to my car. Now, instantly, I knew something was wrong. This wasn't your standard grocery store chicken. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. The texture was off in a way that was just really difficult to describe. It was kind of slimy. And uh, I guess they were just having a bad day, right? What's the worst that could happen, right? (laughs) Uh, This wasn't my first experience with lousy fried chicken, and it probably wouldn't be my last, so I I let it slide. I couldn't taste anything because of of my cold. And uh, as I neared my car, I finally decided to look down at the nearly half eaten chicken tender. And uh, what I saw shocked me. There was nothing but stomach churning raw chicken looking back at me. And I instantly felt sick to my stomach, instantly wanted to evacuate the contents of my stomach all over the pavement. It, It was so gross so gross. I finally found fried chicken that I couldn't stomach. You know, I managed to keep it down and I got mad at a poor manager for trying to kill me with their fried chicken. And the only thing they were willing to do for me was give me my money back. So at least I wasn't financially on the hook for this experience. But, uh, you know, I'm just shocked. It took me that long to actually look down at the chicken that I was eating all right, so now for some fried chicken facts and chicken facts in general. Now, you may not know this one. This one actually surprised me. Fried chicken was invented by the Scottish. Other countries would roast or bake their chicken. The Scottish people were the first to actually fry chicken and fat. Now, according to an Ancestry DNA kit, my DNA is 21% Scottish. So my love for fried chicken is literally as deep as my DNA it's at my core of who I am. So take that world. (laughs) Until the early 1900s, fried chicken was a special occasion meal. It took a long time to to prepare. And it also required a lot of fat, which wasn't readily available, not in the quantities that you would need to deep fry something. So this is something that I think about a lot today. Uh, Today, we have fast food restaurants all over where you can easily go and scratch your fried chicken itch. So it's become just a normal junk food staple. Uh, however, if you were to make it homemade, it really is a special occasion meal. It when the last time I did it was uh day before Thanksgiving last year, and it took me, you know, I had to cut up the chicken, I had to brine it in buttermilk, let it marinate in the buttermilk, I had to season it, I had to let it dry, then I had to fry it. It was a major process, took a lot of time, but the result was super amazing chicken. I absolutely loved it. So loved it. But it was definitely a special occasion meal, and I haven't homemade it since, even though I've gone to numerous restaurants and uh, and purchased fried chicken there. Now, it does take a special type of chicken to work well with frying. Frying is quick and high heat. Today's chickens are going to do well with any method that you choose to cook. That's what they're designed and bred for. However, historically, only tender young chickens were suitable for fast cooking in a fryer. And uh, these chickens were available in the spring and summer, hence the term spring chicken. Another interesting fact, a chicken is the closest living relative to a T-Rex. The average American will eat 80 pounds of chicken in a year, and for me, probably 75 pounds of, of my 80 pounds are fried, a chicken's heart will beat 300 times per minute. Uh, little known fact, chicken was actually the more expensive meat, more expensive than beef or veal until the 1960s when factory farming and mass producing of, of chicken became a thing. 96 chickens are killed every 0.05 seconds. That was shocking. There is actually a black chicken. It's a thing. Uh, There's a rare breed of chicken where everything from the feathers to the meat, to the bones, to the organs, to the beak, to the eyes, to the tongue, everything is black. And each one costs around $2,500. There's actually a mushroom, the, I'm going to butcher this name, Uh, the latiporos mushroom that tastes just like fried chicken. And it's even been nicknamed the fried chicken mushroom. So for anyone out there who does not eat meat, you might still be able to scratch that fried chicken itch. Now, this last fact kind of surprised me, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. I've actually done some digging, and the numbers are actually accurate and absolutely shocking. There are more fried chicken restaurants in South Korea than there are McDonald's restaurants worldwide. That's insane. (laughs) And I have a new love and respect for South Korea. All right, so enough of the uh, getting sidetracked derailed here. We're going to go back to Harlan Sanders and the discussion on KFC. Now, I'm going to turn the attention to what makes KFC. Kentucky Fried Chicken famous today, and that's the 11 herbs and spices. So in 1940, Sanders finalized his recipe for fried chicken that contained the famous 11 herbs and spices. He never revealed the recipe. The only thing he would ever admit was salt and pepper. And then he would hint over the years that that the remaining spices were everyday spices that most people had in their kitchens. Now, there's been some controversy over the years regarding the top secret recipe. There's a copy of the recipe signed by Colonel Sanders himself that is locked in a vault in KFC's headquarters in Louisville, Kentucky. And that's the one that is under lock and key. However, in 1999, a couple bought a house that had been previously owned by Sanders, and they claimed to have found notes that supposedly contained the secret recipe. They wanted to take those notes to auction, and and KFC was going to file a lawsuit to block them from auctioning them. After reviewing the recipe, they dropped the lawsuit, claiming that it was nowhere near the original recipe. The Chicago Tribune had another uh, one of these found recipes by a nephew by marriage to Colonel Sanders, and uh, they did a experiment on it where after a few attempts and Massive amounts of MSG, they were able to almost replicate the flavor and texture of KFC's original recipe, Chicken. Now, franchising started to become a real thing, and it was a unique thing for KFC. For the longest time, Sanders had a prime location for his restaurants. That's why they were constantly slammed. It was a busy road. They had great location. They also had a motel, so travelers would stay. And uh, the local highway just ran right by their restaurant. With the interstate rerouting traffic, Sanders had to find new sources of income. And he embraced a relatively new concept, franchising. In 1950, Harlan Sanders was recommissioned a Kentucky colonel. And that's when he started to dress the part. He grew his iconic uh, white goatee and began wearing his signature white suit. He then made a contract where restaurant owners would give him five cents for every chicken sold. And in return, he'd provide them the secret recipe for his 11 herbs and spices. They could then use his likeness to sell the chicken. And he went all over the country selling this franchise idea. In 1952, his friend Pete Harmon of Salt Lake city, Utah opened the first KFC franchise. A sign painter that worked for Harmon, Don Anderson, he coined the t- the name uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. So this was Harmon's way of standing out from the competition in Utah. Uh, something from Kentucky seemed exotic. It it evoked, uh, you know, that Southern hospitality, that nostalgia, that. The, the, the simple times of grandma cooking uh, a home-cooked meal for you, and it became incredibly popular. They started selling the iconic bucket mill in 1957, and that consisted of a paper bucket that contained 14 pieces of chicken. They've really gone light on the chicken since then. Five bread rolls and a pint of gravy. They also trademarked the phrase, finger licking good. So that one's been around with KFC forever. So in 1963, there were just over 600 franchises operating. And in 1964, Sanders was finally convinced to sell his Kentucky Fried Chicken concept for uh, $2 million. And also included in that would be a salary of $40,000 for the rest of his life. His contract also stated that he would be the company's quality controller as well as their trademark. By 1970, the number of locations had just jumped north of 3,000 nationwide, and the group that purchased Kentucky Fried Chicken from Sanders sold the chain to Hubline, which was a food and drink company for a cool $285 million. Now, it just blew my mind in just 7 years, the valuation of the company went from that $2 million purchase price all the way up to $285 million. And, uh, you know, after that, it changed hands a few more times, uh, landing with their current owner, PepsiCo in 1986, PepsiCo purchased KFC for $850 million. So massive amounts of money here. Now, one story that really fascinates me, and this one came up again and again and again in my research as KFC, uh, evolved, and expanded, and grew, and had more locations nationwide, naturally, uh, their headquarters would make changes to the recipes to be something that could be standardized across all locations, it's part of that franchising model, you go into one, uh, they're all the same, you know exactly what you're going to get. So, he would visit KFCs throughout the country, and throw fits uh, at what his... Recipe at what his chicken had become. He even told a reporter once that it's the worst fried chicken I've ever seen. KFC had changed the recipes for the chicken, the gravy, and other menu staples because they were too complicated to be reproduced uniformly across all of their franchise locations. And because of this frustration, Colonel Sanders opened up a competing chicken restaurant. He opened up a restaurant called Claudia Sanders, the Colonel's Lady. KFC immediately sued Sanders over this for one hundred and twenty million dollars. An executive in the company convinced KFC to settle for one million, and to uh, as a peacekeeping measure, and uh, they dropped the suit after that settlement. And surprisingly, the restaurant is actually still open today, though they don't feature fried chicken like you would think. <laughs> it's, it's more of a sit-down place, hotel, old-school, southern nostalgia. It's really interesting. Um, you know, as we discussed last week about Hidden Valley Ranch, the product today with ranch, it scarcely resembles what was originally produced. Remember, they went from making it fresh to a shelf stable product that could sit on the shelf for 150 days. And obviously when you add a bunch of chemicals and change the formula and the recipe that dramatically, you're going to have a product that it tastes much different from the original. And that got me thinking about Kentucky fried chicken. I wonder what would be different. What, what would taste different? I wonder how different it is, uh, today compared to when Colonel Sanders was was slinging chicken to you know a table full of guests in his little kitchen at the service station in Corbin Kentucky and and that's something that is just a real fascinating thought it it was wildly popular it grew so fast and there was a reason for that it was something that was just so phenomenal that people embraced it widely and today from everything that I've read, it is actually a very different product from what Colonel Sanders originally produced. So where does that put us today? Where is KFC today? Colonel Harlan Sanders died in 1980, and at the time of his passing, KFC had 6,000 outlets spread across 48 different countries with $2 billion in sales annually. Now, KFC... They have struggled in recent years uh, since 2015. They've had declining sales. There's a surge in popularity for competitors such as you know Chick Fil A, Popeyes, Bojangles. There are a lot of chicken places that have popped up. A lot of franchises that have popped up, and uh, chicken is kind of having its moment right now. There's a strange nostalgia to uh, going into a KFC and being greeted by pictures of the Colonel on the wall. And, uh, you know, thinking about that one man who had his fried chicken dream and he grew it into a major empire. And it's the typical rags to riches success story that we really embrace in this country. And I've definitely eaten my share of KFC. One of my favorite moments was being able to be one of the very few that was able to taste the legendary Double Down sandwich and KFC would definitely get me right back in the door in a heartbeat if they brought that back to the menu. For those of you that don't know what a double down is, you're really missing out. It was something they had on the menu about 10 years ago where you had two fried chicken breasts acting as your bread on the sandwich. Then in between them, you had bacon, cheese, and sauce. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm going to confess when I want fried chicken, KFC is often near the bottom of my list there's just too many good places that have opened up recently and even chains that i like to visit more than i like kfc and you know fried chicken is definitely having a moment right now in the country and there are no shortage uh there's no shortage of places where you can go get quality chicken even places that don't normally sell chicken have added chicken to the menu just to cash in on it uh you know however Every once in a while, I still get the craving for the classic 11 herbs and spices. And of course, when I do, I grab the car keys and I head to my local KFC and have a taste of what Harlan Sanders started so long ago. So that wraps up my brief history on KFC. There's a lot to go into with KFC, I just scratched the surface. Um, I didn't talk about KFC internationally. That's definitely a part of the history. They're huge in China, huge in Korea, huge in Japan. So Asians really love Asia country. Asian countries really love Kentucky Fried Chicken, and it's it's a big deal out there. So, you know, really, what are you? What are your thoughts about KFC? What memories? What nostalgia do you have? For me, it was going to my grandma's, opening the fridge, and seeing a bucket of you know, cold KFC in the fridge, leftovers. And uh, that's something that I'll always put hand in hand with going to grandma's house. And uh, there's definitely a lot of nostalgia that comes to KFC, and that's what I treat KFC for nowadays. Like I said, it's that little taste of nostalgia, both in my own past and also just to have a, a taste of food history as a whole. So if you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe to the show, leave a review, tell a friend, all of that is going to help people find the show. It's going to help grow the show, grow our footprint. And it's always much appreciated. If you have thoughts on KSC that you want to share, feel free to comment on the article at toastykettle.com. You can also find me on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Toasty Kettle and uh, leave your comments there. Love to hear from you until next week.